So I uh, wanted to take this moment and um, introduce myself just in case I haven't had the chance to meet you yet today. My name is Ben and I get to be one of the pastors here. Um, Some of you might be like really weirded out because usually we say hi before the service and talk, but I wanted to share with you that I won't be shaking anyone's hand today because there is an awesome stomach bug going through the Stroop house and you are all thankful that you don't have it. Um, So in about... 28 minutes, I'm getting in my car and going back home to go back to sleep, but I love you all too much not to be here today, but I also love you enough not to give you the bug. So, what I want you to do for the next couple of seconds is lean over to your neighbor and tell them the one phrase that strikes fear into your heart every time. Like, if you hear it, your adrenaline pumps, your heart sinks, whatever it is, that one phrase, every time you hear it, it ruins your day. Ready? Go. All right, all right, somebody shout theirs out as long as it's, like, appropriate. Anybody got one that they want to share? Accident. There's been an accident, yeah? Hospital. Yeah, yeah? Stomach bug. That's what's happening at our house right now. Um, Mine, though, my number one phrase that strikes fear into my heart, I am almost, almost 30, and it's still to this day strikes fear into my heart if I were to ever hear my parents say, go get a spoon. Now in our house, like, you know the wooden stirring spoons? You know, like the ones you like make spaghetti sauce with? I don't know when my parents figured out how bad that hurts, but they did. And so rather than, like some of you probably got a switch or a belt or just like the bare hand or whatever it was, but at our house you got spanked with a spoon. And so even if, even if right now, if my dad were to call me on the phone and say, go get a spoon, I would, I would panic. I actually, when we, when we got married, I told Whitney we weren't allowed to have any wooden spoons in our house because I don't like them. We actually just had to buy all new cookware, and we bought wooden spoons, and I'm still not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> it makes me a little nervous every time I start using one. But it's like this thing, and I, I, when I think about wooden spoons, I always think about this one night. I had gotten in big trouble at church and uh, my dad was not happy. And so we came home from church, and, and my dad brought up a spoon to my room. And he broke the spoon on me. And that wasn't bad enough, right? It just took a couple swats. He was a big, strong dude. And it, that wasn't the worst part, though. The worst part was, after a couple of swats, he breaks the spoon, holds the two pieces up, and goes, he looks at me, and he goes, I counted. There's seven downstairs. (laughs) And I said, yeah? And he said, I might break every one tonight. I know, I should have called Child Protective Services, right? And he was like, go get the next one. So I'm walking down the stairs, right, thinking about this next spoon that I'm going to get. I didn't learn until later about, like, momentum and stuff. I always thought the longest ones would hurt the least rather than the short ones. This is bad science. So I'm walking down the stairs, and the way my house was set up growing up, if you go down the stairs, the front door is right in front of you. And I'm only like eight or nine at this moment, and it will surprise you to know that I didn't run fast then either. But I was thinking in that moment about running away. 
And as I'm slowly walking down the stairs, just fast enough that he hears my feet hitting the steps, but it's not so fast that it gives me some time to recover, I think about what it would be like to just take off out the front door. Right? I mean, everybody else is in the basement watching TV. He's upstairs stewing or whatever it was he was doing in my room, and I had this moment where I could have just taken off out the front door, and it could have been several minutes before anybody found me. And I started thinking about what it would be like to run away. And I had thought about it before, but every time I talked about running away or getting kidnapped, my mom always said, don't worry, they'll bring you back in a few hours. We're not that worried about it. I had really good parents, didn't I? Um, But I always thought about, you know, running away or or any of those things. And I thought about it in that moment, but I thought, surely they would catch me and and the punishment would be even worse. But even at eight or nine, I knew that really the answer wasn't going to be running away. Even at that age, I knew that there had to be more to it than just running. And I knew that I had to turn around and face my punishment. It doesn't mean that I didn't stop trying to run away from things, though. It doesn't mean that there weren't times when when I tried to disappear It doesn't mean that there weren't times when I tried to go the other way. It doesn't mean there haven't still been times when I'm trying to do anything but the thing that I know I'm supposed to, whether it's running away from hard conversations or running away from difficult difficult confrontations or or whether whether it's heading in the wrong direction and knowing I need to turn around but knowing how much easier it is to go this way. Whatever it is, I know that I have been running and do a lot of running all the time. And there are some of you who are kind of surprised you're in this room today. You're kind of surprised because your whole life you've been running away. You've been running away from from the church, you've been running away from religion, you've been running away from God, and, and somehow you wound up here, whether it's because your spouse made you or, or, or because your, your, your grandparents or your grandchildren or, or whatever it is, somehow you've ended up back here, and the whole time you're thinking, I thought I got away from that. And you ran away from what you thought was God because you got hurt by that teacher And you ran away from what you thought was God because you got burnt by the people who really were more interested in self-preservation than in teaching you about Jesus. And you ran away because you met somebody who told you that life following Jesus was all about rules and keeping rules, and only if you could keep rules could you be any good. And you're here today because you think maybe there's something else to this. And you're here because you're thinking, I know I've been running but I'm just plain tired. And I want to tell you that there is not a person in this room who wouldn't be able to attest to a time in their life when they realized that they too were running. That every person in this room has tried to, at some point or another in their life, run away. Whether it's that they ran from God or they ran from the church or they ran from family or they ran from work or or whatever it is, everyone in this room has tried at one point or another to run away. And here's what I want to say to you. What I want to say to you is we can run from God, but we cannot outrun God. 
You can run from him as long as you want, but he will chase after you until the moment you perish. You can run from him as long as you want, but you will never be able to outrun him. And I want to I give you a warning because I know that some of you, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but I know that some of you, when you hear that God is running after you, you imagine like maybe the, 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 the wooden spoon overhead and your mom or dad or the, the belt or the switch or whatever it was, and they're chasing you because they want to punish you. But I, but I promise you that God isn't running after you to punish you. He's running after you because he loves you. And I also want to give some credence to the group of people in here right now who haven't listened to what I've said for the last seven minutes because every time I say run, they just keep thinking, I was running. And so it's been in your mind this whole time, and it's been in mine all week while we've been working on this. So let's just go ahead and get it all out and watch this next 30 seconds, and it'll get it, our minds all clear. For more than two years now, a man named Forrest Gump, a gardener from Greenbow, Alabama, stopping only to sleep, has been running across America. Charles Cooper brings a history for the fourth time on his journey across America, Forrest Gump, the gardener from Greenbow, Alabama, is about to cross the Mississippi River again today. Why are you running? Why are you running? Are you doing this for world peace? Are you doing this for the homeless? Are you running for women's rights? Or for the environment? Or for animals? They just couldn't believe that somebody would do all that running for no particular reason. Why are you doing this? I just felt like running. I just felt like running. For more than two years now, so I, I showed you that because I wanted to remind you that there are two famous runners in all of history. The first is Mr. Gump, who just felt like running. But the second most famous runner in all of history is a guy who we meet in the Old Testament of the Bible and is a guy named Jonah. And Jonah is what's called a prophet. That means that God speaks directly to Jonah, and, he t and then Jonah delivers that message to the people. And Jonah is living in a town called Bethgar. And in Bethgar, life is pretty easy. He's just a little bit outside of Jerusalem, his home, you know, the home of his people. He lives there in the country of Israel. Life's halfway decent for Jonah. But that's not why he runs. He runs because in the midst of a halfway decent life, everything changes. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so we don't know how God's voice comes to Jonah as a prophet. I imagine it sounds something like Morgan Freeman, but, you know, like maybe it's Charlton Heston for you, whatever that is. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he says, Go to Nineveh. Now, when you hear that, that God is telling Jonah to go somewhere, you kind of think, like, maybe it's a halfway decent place, maybe it's not a good place. I, I was trying to think of how bad of a place Nineveh really was. And typically, when it comes to bad places, my favorite bad place to pick is always Tolsboro. And, and I imagined what it would be like if the word of the Lord came to me and said, go to Tolsboro. And I would say, at least it's not Vanceburg, right? Like, like that's the best thing I could think of. Um, but, but I was thinking, as I did some research and as I, you know, kind of went through, when God calls Jonah to Nineveh, would it have been better if I said Flemingsburg? Would there be less people offended there? Maybe Mount Olivet. Let's just go around the circle and get every other county. Um, but when God comes to Jonah and he says, go to Nineveh, 
he's not telling him to go just a little bit away to another town of people who look like him. God's telling him to travel about 500 miles. Mind you, this is 5,000 years ago, so it wasn't like he was jumping in a plane or in a car to get that 500 miles. He's telling him to travel about 500 miles to one of the most wild, brutal places on the planet. When he tells him to go to Nineveh, he's not just telling him, hey, go to Lexington. He's not just telling him, hey, go to St. Louis. He is telling him to go to somewhere that no one from his country would ever want to go. As I was studying about this this week, and I kind of was doing some research on, on Nineveh and what life was like there, I, I quit reading more than once about what the Ninevite people would do. Because they were so sick and so twisted of a people, and they were so wild that some of the stuff they told me they do, that if I told you they were doing it, you wouldn't believe me. But really, all you need to know is that one of their favorite methods of execution was to skin their enemies alive. So when Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, you can't really blame him for his first reaction to be running away. I mean, you can't really blame him for hearing about this incredibly crazy place called Nineveh and going, nope, not going there. And I think for some of us, when we, when we think about running from God, we think about the kind of story of Jonah. Because you think about the kind of things that God might ask you to do, and, and you're pretty sure that God's going to ask you to go to a place like Nineveh, and he's going to ask you to go to somewhere where your country's enemies are, and he's going to ask you to give up everything you know, and he's going to ask you to do all these things. And I'm going to tell you, he may very well ask you to do that. But what's interesting is so many of us, myself included, run from God, not because he asks us to go to the dangerous places, not because he asks us to make sacrifices on our life, but because he asks us to do things that are a tad bit uncomfortable. You see, I don't run from God because I believe he needs me to go to Iraq. I, I run from God because he tells me to love my neighbor. I run from God because he tells me to have mercy even on the person who cuts me off on the highway. I run from God at times, not because he expects me to give up everything I have and live in a cardboard hut, but I run from God sometimes because he expects me to love my wife like Christ loved the church, being willing to lay my life down for her and putting my own selfish ambition aside. And so you hear a story like Jonah and you go, <laughs> that's why I'm running. But the reality is I think for most of us, we're far more interested in running because we don't want to change anything about who we are. And so Jonah, rightfully so, and I mean, you can, you can understand, is scared, right? I can't imagine what it would be like for the voice of God to come down to me and say, Ben, move to Grayson, or somewhere terrible like that, right? No, it's too far away. No one thinks that place is funny. Did he say Graceland? Is he like Elvis? Anyways, um, I can't imagine if the voice of God came to me and said, take your family and move to Afghanistan. Take your family and move to Syria. 
And it was abundantly clear that it wasn't something I wanted to do, that it was the voice of God speaking to me, which has never happened and I, I don't think traditionally happens. But if it happened and it was plainly clear that that's what I was supposed to do, I still don't think I could do it. And so I don't really blame Jonah. But I think that probably we all need to realize that this is going to cause some major issues. And so Jonah's afraid, right? And he rises to flee from Tarshish, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And so Jonah decides that in order to get away from what God's calling him to, he's going to run to Tarshish. And, he, and here's a map, just to kind of give you a picture. Joppa is not that far from Beth Gair, where he's from. Um, but Tarshish is over there in Spain, as you can see, approximately 2,500 miles away from Joppa. And it's in, in, the, in the life of Jonah and in the wisdom of Jonah and in the you know, normal world at that time, that's as far as a person can go. And so when Jonah picks to go to Tarshish, he isn't just picking to go there because he picked it out of a hat. He's trying to get as far away from God as he can in any moment. And he's trying to run. But Jonah's about to learn a principle that I want you to know more than anything. And Jonah's about to learn that we cannot outrun and so Jonah thinks he's going to get as far away from God as he can. Jonah thinks he's going to get further away from God than he ever could imagine. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that God is right there the whole time and that God knows exactly what's happening. And I want to share this next part of the story with you. And I want, to, I want to be careful. Because what happens is a lot of times we look at the Bible to be prescriptive rather than descriptive. And prescriptive means that if that happened to Jonah, it's going to happen to you, right? So prescriptive would be that when the storm comes and God rocks the boat and clearly makes, it makes it clear to Jonah that he needs to get out, everyone thinks, well, if my life's going well, then clearly I'm not running from God. My kids are happy. Life's good. But that's not necessarily the case. The story of Jonah is descriptive meaning that it's telling a story that happened of an historical event that God is showing you how things work. And so I want you to know that there are people who have been running from God their entire lives who never, who never catch a whiff of God, but life goes okay for them. And I also want you to know that there are people who live clearly in the path that God has designed for them, and life is miserable. And I want you to know that both of those things happen. But I also want you to know this. That odds are, when you run away from God, you're running into a storm. And I want you to understand that because, because it's a dangerous thing to think that only when I'm following God are things good and only when I'm not following God are things bad. But I want you to know that odds are, if you're running away from what God has called you to, if you're running away from the life that God has called you to, then you're going to run into a storm. So they get on the boat, and they're heading to Tarshish, and the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to the, to the sea to lighten the load for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and was, had laid down and was fast asleep. 
And so the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give us a, a thought to us, and we may not perish. And this is the part that might be most important to catch. And that's the part where running away from God not only causes a danger to you, but it affects all of the people around you. Because unless you're in the cartoon when the cloud is just over your head and raining right on you, odds are the storm that you have brought in your life, the storm that you see in your life, costs everyone around you. Now, the ship that Jonah bought a ticket to wasn't, wasn't a carnival cruise line. It was probably a cargo ship, and they kind of just let him on just to stow away. So when they're throwing things overboard to try and save the ship, what they're throwing overboard is their money, is their profit, right? Like, it's the cargo they're supposed to be taking halfway across the world, and they're throwing it overboard to try and save their own lives. So when they're doing this, it's costing them dearly. And why is the storm happening in the first place? Because God sent the storm at Jonah. Because God sent the storm to stop Jonah. And so if you're running from God, I want you to know that you are most likely causing a storm around you that is costing the people who love you, costing the people who are closest to you dearly. That is costing them greatly. You see, this is the thing that I, that I think people miss out on sometimes when we talk about following God, is, is that when God tells us what to do, when God gives us the list of, uh, of commands to follow, when God tells us to love our neighbor, it's not because God is some sort of cosmic killjoy who just doesn't want us to ever have any fun. It's not because he sees everything that anyone else is doing and says, nope, that looks fun, you can't do it. The reason that God has set us apart, the reason that God wants us to live differently is because the behavior that people often want to engage in is the very behavior that leads to destruction. And so when he's calling us to something different, he's not calling us away from those things just because. He's calling us away from those things because eventually they lead to storms in our lives. And so maybe for you, you, you know this because you know an addict. And the storm in your life has been crazy for weeks and for months and for years. And everybody's throwing all kinds of money and time and energy at this cause and no one seems to be able to fix it. But it's because the addict himself or herself is asleep in the bottom and no one's bothered to wake them up and say, do you see what you're doing to us? Or maybe they're unwilling. I, I don't know. Maybe for you, the storm in your life is happening because greed is such an idol for you, and you just chase after money any which way you can, and you chase after work, and you chase after prestige all of the time, and it's causing a wreck for the family around you because your kids don't know who you are because you're at work so much. Maybe for you, the storm in your life is because you're a secret gambler. And it's not that betting on something occasionally is wrong, but when it comes a problem is when your spouse has more than once had to figure out a way to get a little extra money to make the bills on time. Or maybe you're not an alcoholic, but you drink just enough that it causes enough of an issue and tension in your home. 
I, I don't know what it is for you, but I have no doubt that almost every person in this room could name a storm that has been a part of their life that they have fought and that they have resisted and that they have tried to see changed. And I know that we would all admit that it's because at times we find ourselves running away from God and running away from the life that he promised, running away from the eternal hope that he gives in order to just make sure we don't have to do anything that might be a little bit too hard. Well, eventually, Jonah realizes that he's the problem, and he goes to the guys and he says, it's me. I'm not supposed to be on this boat. I'm supposed to be going the other direction. And they said to him, what shall we do to you? The sea may quiet down for us, for the sea has grown more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on his, us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I want to make this point clear, too. Jonah doesn't ask them to throw him over the boat because he wants to die. This isn't an attempt by Jonah to get assisted suicide from the, from the deckhands. Jonah asks him to be thrown overboard because he knows that God is chasing him. And Jonah asks him to be thrown overboard because he knows that his only hope is to get off this boat and start heading in the right direction. And so the men that, you know, they say, no, we won't throw you, we'll row that way, and it doesn't work. So the men say, we don't want to throw you, we don't want you to die. And Jonah says, no, no, I'm not going to die. He says, God is going to save me because he isn't done with me yet. And so you know the last part of this story for, for today. And Jonah gets in the water and it says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I have known this story since I was three years old. And I've never thought of this part of the story as a good thing. I've never thought of it as a good thing because I hate fish. I've never thought of it as a good thing because to be swallowed in the fish, in the whale, whatever it is you want to call it, seems like it would be a miserable place. But I never really realized that the fish wasn't punishment. The punishment was the storm. The bad things that come from, from, the, from the winds and the raging sea, that's the punishment. The fish isn't the punishment. Rather, the fish is God's rescue. Because undoubtedly, Jonah was a, a day or two at sea. Because undoubtedly, Jonah then had to make it all the way back to Nineveh where God wanted him to be. And so the fish comes not as punishment, but as God's rescue. To say, Jonah, you were willing to dive into the sea, and I'm willing to come back and rescue you. Because that's the purpose of this story. The purpose of this story wasn't that, well, Jonah ran away and God was done with him. 
The purpose of the story is that Jonah ran away, but God kept chasing him. God ran after him. And so I want you to know that today. That if you're running away from God, that if you're considering running away from God or you think you're too far gone, I want you to know that God sent something much bigger than a fish to chase you. And he sent his only son to this earth. And he sent him to earth to live a perfect life and to die for you and for me on a cross so that he could chase us once and for all. And so that for us, we didn't have to run to the things on this earth anymore because we could have the hope of him and his son in heaven. So here in just a minute, as the men pass the bread and the cup, I want you to take them both and hold on to them for just a second, just to yourself, and remind yourself that this is a constant image of your fish. You won't be swallowed up at sea. But rather, you'll just simply be reminded of a God who hasn't stopped chasing you.